0: You are locked on Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Welcome on into the Locked On Syracuse podcast, Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard. Happy February to everyone. I guess you've probably already listened to the February episode of this, but if you haven't, go check that out on our podcast feed. Again, we're with you every single weekday, the only place to get daily Syracuse podcasts. So hit that subscribe button if you're on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We're also on radio.com now as well. So wherever you get your podcast, be sure to subscribe to the Locked On Syracuse podcast. And also you can tell your smart speaker to play the Locked On Syracuse podcast if you're out around the house just trying to get some things done. We've got a ton on the show today. We mentioned yesterday There's some football notes and some big ones at that that we have to get into, so we will do that later on in the show. A lot of basketball talk, a lot of leftover comments that we want to get to from yesterday and and the game that Syracuse played against NC State, but when you look at the big glaring thing from this matchup against NC State, and one of the things that maybe we should have spent a little bit of time, but again, we don't want to go too long on some of these shows, is the rebounding was not bad in this game, but you did get out-rebounded. However, on our Twitter account, we tweeted this out. And Tim, our, our fabulous research work <laughs> by you right here. You can check it out, at LO underscore Syracuse. But here's the Orange the last two years. When they out-rebound their opponent, they are 23-2, and including 12-2 and in the ACC, 3-0 and this season. When they get out-rebounded, over the last 2 years they are 5 and 17, 3 and 12 in the conference, 1 and 4 this season that one win coming on Sunday against NC State. The Wolfpack outrebounded them 37 to 35 and it kind of got me thinking. What the formula is for Syracuse because again, you, you hear those numbers, you're going to get especially in conference outrebounded a lot more times than you're going to outrebound teams. What is the formula for this team to win games when they are getting out rebounded. And I think that NC State game really showed you it starts and ends on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because Beheim talked about in his, this in his coach's show last week. He was like, the biggest thing is our rebounding. We've just got to rebound. Defense too has been a talking point from him, but he's you know, a lot of people bring up all oh, the struggling offense and why is Gerard missing shots? Why is Bayheim missing shots? And we'll touch on that a little bit later on in the show, I bet. But the key is the rebounding, and that's why when we do keys to the game on our preview show, we always say rebounding. It feels like, or we're always glued rebounding to. margin. A, a
1: very, very popular guest in the prop shop. Right.
0: Yeah. And this just proves it. I mean, it's pretty staggering. And I heard Jordan Cornette saying the stat yesterday about how they were nine and zero going into the game when they out-rebound teams zero and five when they lost the rebounding battle. And I was thinking back to last year, and I was like, man, I remember at one point last year when I was covering the team, the stat was basically the exact same at that point in the season. So I just did some numbers. And honestly, kind of surprising that actually when you look at these numbers, like you said, 23-2 and two, when they out-rebound opponents the last two years, that means they've out-rebounded opponents in 25 games out of, I guess, so 5-17 and 17 when they get out-rebounded, so that's 23 games they've been out-rebounded. No, 22. Sorry, I can't do math. So 25 to 22, they're actually out-rebounding teams more in their recent crop of games, which is kind of surprising. And even ACC-wise, 14 games, they've out-rebounded teams. 12 and 2 when they out-rebound in the last two years. And then 15 games, they've been out-rebounded in the last 29 games of ACC play here. So they seem to keep it pretty even. But the thing is, when they get out-rebounded, they get clobbered. And it's those UNC games and Virginia like we saw this year, where it really gets exasperated. So it's funny because we always bring up the rebounding battle, but when you dive into the numbers, it really shows you just how
1: vital it is. And it all comes down to second-chance points because that's the thing that really hurts this team. And yes, they have been good defending the three ball, but a part of that is some of these numbers that Syracuse has in terms of their defensive metrics – is they are a little skewed because of the fact that teams are getting so many shots. And when they get those second chances at, at shots, like, listen, if you're getting a second, third, fourth chance, okay, the, the number may not look great. You may be shooting 30%, but you're getting up so many more shots that 30% on 50, 60 shots, you'll take that when the opposition's taking 40 to 45 shots. So. Right that that that's the thing that it really comes down to for me and and the defense when it locks up and when it's forcing turnovers you're alleviating some of the concerns that okay maybe they're stealing an extra possession here or there but you're gonna get some of these turnovers you're forcing them and then it's gonna lead to easy baskets hopefully for you again Syracuse a team that values pace a lot this season and getting out and running in transition and you're stealing those back and you're not only stealing the, the possession back but you're stealing a good look on the other end as well. Yeah, it's interesting because the
0: zone is not good. We've talked about it. And when it's been bad this year, it's been really bad, like the first half in the game against NC State over the weekend. But the zone, the main flaw with the zone, and this is something we touched on all year, is that you're not rebounding great in the zone. And also, you're allowing a lot more points, a lot more easy buckets inside. Those high to low passes that burn them against NC State, Syracuse's field goal percentage defense at the rim has been one of the worst in the country in the past two years. Their three-point defense, the casual fan might be like, man, the game has taken over the zone. Now teams shoot threes. It's outdated. That's really not the case. Like, NC State's a decent three-point shooting team, really pretty solid. They had some shooters out there. Braxton Beverly is a good shooter, he couldn't get anything in that second half when Syracuse played the defense that we know they're capable of when they showed a little bit more energy, and they were 0 for 8 from 3. The big problem is they're just not getting a lot of the rebounds, and once you go up against a big team, that's where we see them get exposed a little bit.
1: And that's where the defense comes in, because that to me, that is why Kadari Richmond is so valuable, yeah. is that he is going to go out there and cause problems for you on the defensive end of the ball to the point where, okay, If we do let up a couple extra rebounds in this one, and NC State had 13 offensive rebounds and 13 second chance points. That's a pretty big number in both of those categories and one that Syracuse would love to slash and make that like a single digits in both. We'll, We'll put it that way. That's what Kadari does. Is he's going to get you some of those possessions back, whether it's with steals, whether it's with deflections, and maybe he's not the one that's credited with the steal, but the the ball's going the other way and forcing these turnovers and making guys uncomfortable at the top, and and disrupting the the shooting as well. Because listen, we we talk Kadari, we talk Joe, the the battle of of guards at the top, but. Kadari is going to be the one that's going to help you in these games. And that's also, I think, part of the reason why Alan Griffin is so important too at the guard position is because he may be 6'5", 6'6", whatever they have him listed at. He rebounds like he's 6'8", 6'9", 6'10". Because yeah. what he brings night in and night out is a pretty consistent rebounding effort. And he is one of the better rebounding guards, not just in the ACC, but really in the entire country. He's one of the better rebounding guards. No doubt. In
0: I mean, he's playing above his what, like for six, five to be a forward in this zone, usually not ideal, but he's just a rangy six, five that can get in there and embody some people and make some block shots. Athletic, Yeah. yeah, He's he's going to elevate
1: over guys too. No doubt. You don't see six, five guards doing put back dunks with ease too. Or blocking
0: seven shots in a game like he did earlier this year. He's gotten better at the rotations in the zone. I would say that's the thing that probably we don't pay enough attention to is just a collective fan base. We're always quick to criticize Buddy and Joe at the top of the zone, which I totally get. And really the big difference when you have Kadari in there, for me, is not so much, oh, they allow less threes, or they allow like better contested three, or teams are getting off easier looks against Buddy and Joe. That probably is true to a degree, versus Kadari from three, because he's a little quicker. But the key for me is that It's tougher to get it to the high post when Kidari's in there because he's just better at keeping his hands up, staying active, staying on the balls of his feet, and contesting passes into the high post and getting deflections on those passes, and teams realize that. So that's the big difference for me, and the forwards probably get by a little bit because Quincy and Griffin, like a lot of the plays in the NC State game where they went high to low, the first issue is that you allowed such easy high post passes. You allowed Helms to get the ball at the ACC logo easily. The second issue is that the forwards didn't do a great job of dropping down, and Dolezal did come up a little bit too much in some instances, and Edwards came up way too much on one play.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things with the defense, too, is you, you bring up getting the arms up, too. I think that's something that this team can work on. It's such oh, yeah. a simple fix, too. I mean, just putting your arms up. It's, it's elementary stuff for for the zone. Real quick, I'll tell you about the best place on the internet to shop for car parts. That, of course, is rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's almost impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at your home and also in your pocket. And one reason to repair And maintain your car is to save money, and that's the best thing about rockauto.com is that you could choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts that you're going to get at a chain store or new car dealership. And not only that, but chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do it yourselfers. So, rockauto.com's prices, though. They're the same for everyone and they're always reliably low. And one of the best parts about rockauto.com is it's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. It's the consistency that makes them the best. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers and be sure... To write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Again, when you go to rockauto.com to fix up your car or truck, write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com.
0: March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast.
1: Hey, get more of the sports you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. That's right. That's us included, too. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcast. Tim, there was a very interesting article in The Athletic. And I believe it was Seth Davis did this one. And he was going through anonymous coaches and they're kind of spilling the tea on what they think about each team in a number of conferences the acc was included in that list of teams and conferences and here's the the juice on syracuse all right the zone is still the zone if you're making shots you got a chance and boy have we seen that this year joe Girard hasn't shot it well but he still gets people's respect because he can make it their five-man is Marek Dolezal, which isn't typical. They usually have a big shot blocker in there. And, again, we know that Barama Sidibe has been battling those injuries. They have five guys who can put the ball in the basket. Buddy Bayheim has had some bad games, but he has our respect because he can get going. He and Gerard are volume guys. They're like lunchtime YMCA guys. Just go shoot it 15 to 20 times. It's tough to keep Quincy off the glass. He's a right-hand driver. Sorry. All right, I think there's a couple of subcategories yeah. <laughs> we can... We can break into here. And I think we start with the Buddy and Joe stuff because guards have been the topic of conversation for this team every single game it feels like. And of course, it comes down to consistency, but the larger point is is that when we nitpick with and it's not really nitpicking, but when we criticize consistency, it means that there is a ceiling. And when there is a ceiling, it is a high ceiling, especially in the case of Buddy and Joe. We know that they can go out and get you 20 to 25 points on any given night. It's just we haven't seen them do it night in and night out. We've seen some clunkers where they're held under five points or under eight points and stuff like that. But the the fact of the matter is is that they still command the respect of every team in the conference. You can't leave them open. If you leave them open, they are going to go like five of seven from three if you just don't get out and contest. So I actually, when I first
0: read this, kind of took it as somewhat of a compliment to Buddy and Joe. And then- As did I. I saw it on Twitter, it was floating around yesterday, Matthew Gutierrez, who of course works at The Athletic, tweeted out the little blurb, and it kind of blew up because people were saying, oh, yikes, they're like lunchtime YMCA guys, just go shoot it 15 to 20 times, that doesn't sound great. I don't really. I mean, it's hard to say what this one coach thought. That to me, right? I, I felt like that
1: comment was third in the hierarchy of importance here. In yeah, terms I, of okay,
0: that wasn't Joe hasn't shot it
1: well, but gets people's respect. Buddy has had some bad games, but he has our respect because he can get it going. They are volume guys. They're like lunchtime. Like that's the higher. There's a reason it was ordered the way it was because I don't think he. J- I don't think Seth Davis just took some giant. Bl- I think he ordered it somewhat here. And I, I don't think that this is a... Like the lunchtime YMCA thing, to me, that's a non-factor. In, yeah, it, it probably commentary. sounds
0: worse than the coach was making it out. Right, I don't know. Right, yeah. I can see why people read that and then thought, yikes, like he's going out at there athleticism or something. I just didn't take it that way. And maybe I'm off there. It's hard because we we don't know who this coach is and no one's going to get to follow up. And there's different ways to read that quote. But generally speaking... I think he's right, and that's why Bayheim is stuck with Gerard and Buddy. And he probably has played them too many minutes. He probably should cut into their minutes a little bit. He's he's definitely cut into Gerard's minutes more for Kadari, and a lot of people are calling for him to cut into Buddy's minutes more for Kadari, which I agree to an extent. But also, I it's agree not to really, an extent.
1: But like, what they're not the same position. Listen, yeah, you have to put a, another guard out there at some point, and like, you can't. I don't know. It just if you're trimming into Buddy's minutes, well, you're you're robbing Peter to pay Paul here. I mean, yeah. you're gonna you're you're gonna have to put Gerard in if you're gonna cut into Buddy while also putting in Kadari, who is cutting into Joe's minutes. It's like this whole minutes triangle here that you've got going on, and you're just gonna have to have a, a, some sort of consistency in the rotation with those three guys.
0: And another quote from his coach's show last week. He was asked about this. Why are the guards? that are so cold from the outside still getting significant minutes. It's on everyone's mind. And he brought up some points that I didn't agree with, and he brought up some points that I agreed with. But the ones that I agreed with mainly is he said, first off, I don't know what I'm getting from Buddy and Joe when they start the game. It could be the game that they break out. And if it is the game that they break out, they quite honestly could win the game for Syracuse. They have a higher ceiling than Kadari, just from that standpoint, from how mm-hmm. many points they can give you and how much they can impact the game. And some people would completely disagree with that. And maybe impact the game's not the right word because we know Kadari does a ton of things defensively. And I'm with you. I'm a big Kadari fan for those people that are yelling at me right now as I'm saying this. The thing is, Bayham doesn't necessarily know. He he did say something like, it takes till- You can't predict it either.
1: Yeah. Like, it's not
0: something you can predict. The part that I'll <laughs> push just, back it's on... It's the flow of the game. Yeah, he said... I won't know until the game's over if it's an off-shooting night because he brought up how Clay Thompson would could go 0 for 18 and then boom he'll hit five in a row or Steph can start a game 1 for 10. They're not they're not Clay and Steph, Jim. So that's yeah. kind of a foolish comparison. <laughs> that's where I push yeah. back a little, and it's such a great difference in defense too, and that should be a tiebreaker in this scenario. Like if they're starting to shoot poorly, he should have a quicker leash on either Joe or Buddy. I agree wholeheartedly with that but he's right. They do space the floor a little bit. And this coach has a point that said this to Seth Davis.
1: Yeah. If Clay and Steph are the splash bros, Joe and buddy are like <laughs> what the ripple bros. Like, is that what they are? Yeah. Uh, that, that's what they are. like. They're not going to, obviously we'd love to see a game where, where they both go off for 20, but I get what he's saying. And I know the example he's going to point back to every single time when something like that is brought up is going to be that Bryant game out of the gate where, Joe Girard did hit two very big threes in that game, and some might even argue they were the, the threes that ended up winning them the basketball game. But at the same time, I do think you don't need the, the full 40 minutes to to be able to make that full assessment. I think you know, maybe not by halftime, because we have seen Buddy really teeter off in some of these second halves, but in the, I would say 30 minutes, I think that's the perfect sample. And honestly, I, I would almost push back and say, he has, to a degree, done that. Like, we have seen, all right, Kadari gets in at the 12-minute mark of the second half and really doesn't sit the rest of the game, or maybe he comes out for a minute or two to, to catch his breath. But yeah. outside of that, he, he, I feel like, has made his decision at the, the 10, the 8-minute mark left in the second half of who he's going to roll with for the remainder of the game.
0: It was brought up on Twitter: start Kadari to start the second half because remember at the NC State game the other day he had a great stretch at the end of the first half and sort of kept them yeah, eight at points in six
1: minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: so he was looking great, and then it's like, okay, do you start Kadari? This is the time to start him. Well, if you start him, then you got to probably yank him at about the seven minute mark or eight minute mark, depending on how many stoppages there are and everything, because.
1: He, he can't he play twenty minutes tired. and a
0: half. Yeah, he can't he play can't. twenty
1: minutes straight right
0: now. And some people are going to say that's Joe and total Buddy can't. Crap.
1: Actually, I would say every other player that we've seen get significant minutes this year can play forty minutes in terms of stamina and the consistency that they will bring from the opening tip to the end of the game. Yeah, and like, Bayhan's not making that up. Like the right,
0: that's the Buddy tip will that I struggle. Can't get behind.
1: But it's not a fatigue based struggle when right. when Buddy like. It gets to a point where it's just heat-checking, right? Yeah. When Kadari struggles, say, you can tell it's because it's he's a little slow.
0: Yeah, final thing on basketball, and then we can get into some football stuff. I The whole Beheim is just fabricating this because he doesn't want to give Kadari the total minutes. He, he's too stubborn to give Kadari all the he minutes. He doesn't want
1: to look wrong. He doesn't yeah. want to let Twitter win, basically, right. is, is the argument being made.
0: I, I think that's total crap because, first off, Same. Bayheim has said several times in his career, he's a guy that's an advocate for all college players should be able to play forty minutes. What did he say last year? Sadiq play, Sadiq Bay for Villanova plays hard as bleep. You know all those guys at Villanova. He always brings up, look at Virginia, they play two guys off the bench. It's not that abnormal. What I'm doing here, guys can play forty minutes with all the stoppages. That he's a strong advocate for that, and he's still saying it about Kadari. So, I think there's a real issue there with the conditioning. Plus, what Matthew Gutierrez told us about how his high school coach says he needs to work harder. Like, I don't know. That's let's... alarming stuff. Yeah. It really is. Let's not ignore facts or let's let's not... I mean, let's give him some benefit of the doubt. The guy's been there 45 years. I don't think he's just leaving a kid out because he wants to fabricate a story to not be proven wrong. I really yeah, don't... Yeah, because he I wants can't
1: get to... Yeah, he wants to hold his, his Twitter throne or his, the throne over the Twitter trolls. Like that's not what he's doing here. It, it's not. It, it, there is a real problem, I think, w- with the work ethic when you're getting that text from a, a, a prior coach saying that. And I think Goody kind of laid it out well. Look at how good Kadari is when he's in. He should be higher than what was he in the 80s on ESPN 124 seven. He should be higher than that, and there is a reason why he's not, and it might be the work ethic concerns. But again, overall, we love Kadari. He's obviously a key contributor to this team. And I'm not going to say they only go as far as he takes them, but he's going to win them a number of games this year. And we have seen him win them a number of games this yeah. year. I'd like to see the minutes stretched out to 25 and 30 at some points, but right now he's just not ready to play that. He yeah. just isn't. And we see it when he does get stretched out Uh real quick. Let's just punch through some of these other notes from the Seth Davis article here. Um, the the comment about Marek at the 5 isn't typical. They usually have the shot block. I wouldn't even say Sadibe's is some immaculate shot blocker when he does come back, and it looks like he might play a little bit against Louisville. Fingers crossed. Um, but I think that the the defensive thing, and Bayheim's hit on it, this team is nowhere without Marek Dolajai. And I think one of the exciting things about Marek, he can come back next year. With this yeah. free year, I mean, everyone kind of is starting to liken him to the Perry Ellis's, the Trevor Cooney's of the world in terms of lifelong college basketballers. This is a guy who I think can actually kick it. Like next year, we always tease next year's the year he gets the three point shot. Next year legitimately could be the year he gets the three point <laughs> shot. And because that's, I think, feel like the next step of his game.
0: Yeah, and as I brought up, he had it his sophomore year a little bit, and then he hurt his wrist, I think it was, or a finger right. or something, mm-hmm. and that set him back. So, yeah, you, you got a good point. I hope he comes back. They do need to get a center, though. I mean, that's just point, point. blank. Yeah. Like, I don't know if mm-hmm. Sidibe is coming back, but even an upgrade from him is very, very important for this At program. At least he's more filled forward. out. Yeah. yeah it's because just a stronger presence the rebounding presence numbers, the like middle. we started the show with, it's, it's glaring. It's been the same problem over and over. I'm sure they're going to hit the grad transfer market hard for a center, but at some point you got to get a little bit more in terms of recruiting, transfers, whatever from that center position.
1: Totally agree. And then the last thing, of course, it's the the last bullet point of this entire thing. It's tough to keep Quincy Garrier off the glass. He's a right-hand driver. Of course, we're going to save Quincy the best for last, <laughs> as always yeah. as we we tend to do again. I feel like everyone's guilty of it. So, even ACC coaches it appears are, are guilty of it as well
0: yeah nothing too crazy honestly from that whole blurb i felt like it was about on par with what we've made of the syracuse team the ymca quote to some people i think they took it a different way and, and maybe they're right but i just didn't the first time i read it that's not how i viewed it and they they kind of do play like ymca players like and that's not a knock like i think ron harper jr has been talked about as a ymca guy he's a great player they're not athletic We know that, but they are good shooters that can get hot. Yeah. All right, guys, quick timeout because we are getting closer and closer to that big game on Sunday that is coming up, and there's only one place out there that we trust and one place that has you covered for betting on the big game. It's betonline.ag, and we've got a great promo code that you can use right now for some sweet savings. Our promo code is locked on for listeners of this podcast. It is all one word. And that promo code LOCKEDON gets you a 50% welcome bonus. So your first deposit at betonline.ag. Say you put down $200, you'll get $100 free to maybe use on the big game this weekend. There are some interesting player prop bets on betonline.ag. Looking at it right now, Travis Kelsey to score two touchdowns, plus 250. Kind of intriguing. Tyreek Hill, plus 250, also to score two touchdowns. If you want to get crazy, three touchdowns for Kelsey. I could see a world where that's possible is plus 1100 right now. So go to betonline.ag. As of right now, the Chiefs are minus three on the website. Get in some of your picks now before the spreads change. And don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON. It is all one word for a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Okay, time for some football thoughts. feel like we haven't talked ball in quite some time here. But let's get into, I mean, there's like, I've got a five pack here of of items that I want to spit at you. And we can just kind of roll through these pretty quickly. But I think we start with this. Fatsumel Fon, we talk about a guy whose stock is blowing up. I saw videos left and right. And it wasn't just Syracuse accounts tweeting him out. It was from his performances at the Senior Bowl. And it's from national guys. I mean, this is a guy who is trending way up in mock drafts it looks like he could be a a second round pick and i mean he's at the back of the second round now but you get the right team at the right spot maybe in like the 10 to 12 pick range of the the second round they need a cornerback you can go out and get into fatu malafonwu and i mean he's using his length again we've always touted his nfl body and that's really being put on display and he had an excellent excellent showcase at the senior bowl weekend
0: Saw so one video of him on a back shoulder pass that he defended pretty much textbook. He looked good in the videos I saw. And it's great that they've got some guys in the NFL conversation. Robinson had a very nice year for Seattle. Was honestly one of the better rookies right. in the entire mm-hmm. class. So now you're you're talking about maybe get Iffy and, and Cisco drafted. Perhaps Trill is drafted as well. Three guys drafted would be first time in a while. And we're talking about two guys that... I've seen in the top 60 on most big boards in Cisco and iffy and unfortunately Cisco couldn't play, but it was cool to see a, a Syracuse guy in the senior Bowl. It feels like yeah we I don't, don't get think Cisco wouldn't have
1: even been eligible to play yeah that's true. It, since he is leaving early I know it's it, it's just a weird thing to think of too that whoa there's a Syracuse football player not one but two leaving early and it's actually appropriate I think for both of them to be leaving early and listen Trill's probably not going to be a, a day one or day two pick. But he's got so much positional flexibility. He can play defensive back, pretty much any of the spots probably. And then, of course, he can do some stuff in special teams for you as well. Another big thing that we saw from over the weekend, this was on his, uh, what was his, Instagram story? But Abdul Adams inside the dome, kind of weird. He was sitting in the stands. Now, there's a number of ways to interpret this, okay? Because I do believe he is still a student on campus, and again, the rumor with him of why he opted out of the season was to get ready for the NFL draft, which struck Orange fans largely the wrong way, and I would tend to agree with those Orange fans as well. But when you see Abdul Adams in the Dome, obviously the first thing that goes to your mind was, oh, like, is he back on the team? Is he not back on the team? Do we know what his status is? But you have to remember this. The Dome is also a big testing site in terms of COVID-19 testing yeah. for students. This could have been one of those situations Who knows,
0: well. right. It, and I think Stephen Bailey was the one
1: who What are the social Sherlock's out. doing right now, huh? <laughs> right. What's going on with
0: that? I, I'd love to know if he's coming back and with Jawar Jordan transferring or at least entering the transfer portal, I think was at least how it's officially out there right now. I, I'd love to get him back. We know we love Sean Tucker, not quite to the, let's throw a 44 in his jersey like I've seen it out there, but we're big Sean Tucker fans in this podcast. He's going to be huge next year, but you always like depth at the position. And Abdul Adams has tons and tons of talent and really didn't quite deliver in his one year, full year with Syracuse. I know he had flashes in the Camping World Bowl game, but it'd be cool to see him play for Syracuse and maybe
1: they harness that talent next year. And he can be a role. I'd love thing to have is, two great backs. Right. I would, too, and we see it in the NFL and in college. I mean, what, did UNC, I think, had a pair of 1,000-yard rushers yeah. this year in a shortened season, but it'd be tough to for me if I'm the Syracuse team, if I am one of his teammates, it would be tough for me if his reason for opting if his true reason for opting out was to get ready for the NFL draft. It's tough for me to welcome him back with open arms. That
0: is tough, yeah. It's a good point.
1: Uh, We'll see. I, don't, I couldn't see, but well, maybe there's some different uh, some different rationale behind it, and that's something that we'll, we'll have to just wait and see. Uh, so you mentioned the transfer portal with uh, Jawar Jordan. Did you see this? Kadir White, the prize of what was that? The class of 2018, yeah. I want to say it was uh, four-star offensive tackle. He is entering the transfer portal. We have not seen him on the field no. at all. I think he's maybe been up there for a couple extra points, but. Talk about one of the more disappointing guys in the Dino Babers era. It it has been Kadir White. He was a guy, especially, on an offensive line that has been as bad as it is. That's something that is frustrating if you're a Syracuse fan because the the line was bad, and if this guy who was supposed to reshape your offensive line, an in-state guy from Brooklyn, a guy who could really bolster you in the trenches, and, and he just never got a crack. And, and it's always listen, been a mystery. Yeah, it's, it's and such if, a bummer. If the line is that bad and he's not playing, I think that speaks more to the kid than it does the uh, the stubbornness of coaching.
0: Right. I think there were some rumblings he just didn't really ever get in the proper shape that he needed to. It's. I mean, remember all the optimism when they had Tyrone Sampson committed to, and then he decommitted? Right. But Think about that,
1: Sampson and White were supposed to be the future of the offensive line. Here we are. Your two prizes were on the offensive line and now yeah. it's the worst unit in maybe in college football.
0: Yeah, they didn't play a single game for Syracuse, either of them. After it looked like they were going to be the foundations of the line for years to come. It, it's really a bummer when I think about it, but they're hitting the grad transfer market pretty hard it seems like this year and they they understand they need to And the JUCO too. Line.
1: Yeah, Juco Don't forget too. about the JUCO stuff. They they have I have seen some offers floating about there. Uh, speaking of the offensive line as well, Mike Cavanaugh, offensive line coach, he's headed to Arizona State. Um, I don't really have much of a takeaway here. I don't know if you do, but uh, Syracuse now looking for a new offensive line coach. I think that's good, honestly. And I no disrespect <laughs> to, to Mike Cavanaugh,
0: but I think we could use uh, a change. Sounded like a shot, but okay. Well, okay, but let me say this. I If there was a coach to fire from the staff, yeah. it was probably him. And honestly, I... I think it's kind he wasn't of wasn't un- even
1: really fired. I don't think. I no, he
0: wasn't. But I'm saying, if there was
1: a coach yeah. that was on no, the quote I'm, unquote hot yeah, seat, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, and it's like the mutual parting.
0: It's it's a <laughs> it's tough position of- to criticize because we're not in practice. I, I think offensive line. When you get to down to that little detail, I just don't really know how much it was on him, how much it was on recruiting, how much it was on other stuff. I'm not going to sit here and criticize the guy. And, again, I don't really mean disrespect to him. I, I wish him all the best. But a change of culture in that position, bringing in someone new, I can kind of get behind because that has been such a, a crap show of a position for a couple years now.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's certainly been one of the more frustrating things because, like, remember how good they were with, the, uh, um, with that 2018 team. Uh, that was a really, really strong offensive line and it was it just has not been the same ever since then and I think that's certainly been a frustrating thing for for quite a few folks out there and then lastly uh Tim we finally have a schedule Uh, an ACC schedule (laughs) is out there and a lot of people are saying this team can get get out and running in those first four or five games I all I would say is it's going to hinge on the quarterback and it's going to right. hinge on the offensive line. I'm really excited for training camp this year. It's going to be one of the more fascinating training camps. No doubt. A lot of competitions. I,
0: I'm already giddy for football season. Even after a one in 10 year, I I, I love watching them play and I, I love all the storylines when it gets to that point of the season. It is a pretty feasible schedule on paper. I, I wouldn't say my takeaway was like last year when the schedule came out and obviously it altered completely. But even when the second schedule came out and it was like on the road at Notre Dame, on the road at Clemson, it was like the toughest schedule in the ACC. So this one, I didn't look at it and think, uh-oh. So that's, I guess, a positive. I, I didn't think 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. I didn't really think much. And a lot of people are going to already start guessing wins and losses, which is kind of foolish. Oh, yeah, but the pocket start,
1: schedule season. It's, it's already getting off yeah. and going right now. But, the start but so is they easy, open up, which is good. Yeah, first four games you're at Ohio, then you host Rutgers, host Albany, host Liberty, and then you travel to Florida State, home against Wake Forest and Clemson, and then you go to Virginia Tech, BC at Louisville, at NC State, and then close it out with a home game against Pitt. Just don't lose to Rutgers,
0: please, or Liberty again. That's my take. The
1: thing (laughs) is, is like Rutgers has gotten better and better every year. Yeah, Liberty is. Syracuse could lose that game, and everyone's gonna just put the the Rutgers the no pun intended, but the scarlet letter of Rutgers could right. be a dark mark on no, what Syracuse No, with Greg Sciano
0: back, I mean, they've, they've been solid. I, they I have just, taken improvements. I don't yeah, like and Rutgers, so. so.
1: <laughs> no, I, I get yeah. what you're saying. It's going to feel embarrassing no matter what. You can't lose to Rutgers in basketball and football within the same 365-day cycle. Let's just yeah. put it that way, all right? So that's it's true. on you now, Syracuse football. All right, that's all I got for you here. Anything else that you saw football-wise that I may have missed in my little five-pack there?
0: No, that's all I got. We'll uh,
1: be back tomorrow,
0: I guess, preview Louisville tomorrow on the show. And I think they're playing right now as of us recording against Georgia Tech. So we'll recap all that stuff.
1: Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for us here on this Tuesday edition of the Lockdown Syracuse podcast. We will be back with you. All things Louisville, like Tim mentioned, because that's a big, big game for Syracuse. A chance to pick up another quality win, a quad two win for the Orange on the Horizon. For Tim, i Tyler. We will preview the Cardinals with you tomorrow.